0: Hi everyone, this is Jim Kelly, and welcome back to the return of Free Reads and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, uh, The Next Generation, uh, A New Beginning. When last we spoke, I promised that my hiatus on this podcast would be brief. I think I said something about starting up again in early April. Would you believe mid-May? Sorry about that. Fans of Men Are Trouble will be pleased to know that one of the things that has been keeping me from free reads is my work on a new Faye Hardaway story with the working title of The Last Judgment. It's about Hieronymus Bosch, transgendering, and flag football. Oh, and Sharifa and Faye have a two-year-old. As I record this, I am about to leave for a science fiction and fantasy convention called BaltCon in Baltimore, M.D. This is one of the premier conventions for science fiction and fantasy podcasting. And I felt like if I'm going to go down there and sit on panels, I should at least update my own podcast. Actually, I have been podcasting all this time. It's just that the podcast I've been working on is the one I get paid for. And you know what that is! James Patrick Kelly Story Pod on Audible. Listeners here at Free Reads will be pleased to know that I'm almost done with the beast. I contracted for 52 stories, and today story 47 goes up. I'm thinking that when I'm finally done, there will be more time for Free Reads. In today's installment, I am striking out in a new direction. I go to a lot of conventions and love to give public readings. It occurred to me that if I got a portable digital recorder, I could capture some of those performances and post them here at Free Reads. So, today I am taking you to Seattle WA, the Richard Hugo House Cabaret on March 31st, 2008, part of the NW media arts program. I read three stories that night, and in part one of this three-part sequence, I give one of my very favorite pieces a public reading. I have done very little editing of this reading, and you will hear chair scraping, the occasional chuckle, pages turning, some heavy breathing, and a brief round of applause from the audience, which was about twenty or so, if memory serves. If you listen carefully, and I know you will, you will hear me say the word chair when i meant to say chain. No big whoop. I've been recording a lot at conventions, and in future episodes of Free Reads, I hope to bring you along with me on the circuit. Be prepared for some surprises and some surprise guest stars. I hope by now you've forgiven me my tardiness. Let's hear what I had to say in Seattle, shall we? You know, I've been writing science fiction for a long time and I have a reputation as a science fiction writer. It occurred to me that nobody thinks of me as a fantasy writer, and and I would say maybe a third or a little bit more of my writing is fantasy or horror. So what I thought I'd do tonight is sort of give you a guided tour of the different kinds of writing I do. And so I'm going to actually read three stories, and they're all relatively short. They will be a horror story, a science fiction story, and a fantasy story. I am going to start with my horror story. And so this one is called The Ice is Singing. The man in the ice is wearing a blue three-piece suit. He is facing up at you and the bright sky, and his eyes are open. What does he see? Nothing. He's dead. No. You look around the lake. None of the other skaters seem to realize that there's a man Frozen in the ice on Christmas Day. Someone could do a sit spin right on his nose, a triple Lutz from his head to his black tasseled loafers. Except nobody on the lake is that good a skater. Certainly not you. The ice is singing today. It whoops under strong light and moans when the sun goes behind a cloud. Something to do with expansion and contraction. Beth called the sounds whale songs. you think they'd have to be whales the size of skyscrapers. Sometimes the ice cracks under your weight with a sound like a gunshot. But don't worry about falling through. It's thick here, thick as a man. So, what to do about your man in the ice? You are already thinking of him as yours. Nobody's going to find him way over here in Brainerd's Cove. The Brainerds are summer people. They're in Lauderdale, waiting for the early bird dinner special at the Olive Garden. Is the Olive Garden open on Christmas? You could dial 911, but it's a little late for CPR. His skin looks gray against the white button-down shirt. One of those Escher Ties, green geometric birds turning into blue fish, tucks into the vest. Now that you're a branch manager, you wouldn't mind having a three-piece suit. Then why didn't you tell Beth? She buys all your clothes. The man in the ice isn't going anywhere, and you're cold. It takes you 20 minutes to skate home. The house is full of Beth's absence. You should have bought a tree anyway, strung the damn lights. It wasn't as if you couldn't find the ornaments. They're in the attic behind the golf clubs next to the unopened presents you piled there. If she were here, there would be sugar cookies and turkey and Bing Crosby would be on the couch drinking her eggnog. You try to imagine How a man could get caught in the ice like that? If he were dead, he'd sink to the bottom. And even if he were floating, wouldn't he be face down? When you were a kid, summering on the lake, you perfected the dead man's float. You actually got your grandma to scream once. Maybe your man lies down on the ice. He's tired after a long day of selling single premium deferred annuities or designing large span roof trusses, or calculating the useful lives of general fixed assets. His body is warm. He melts into the ice. Then it closes over him. Maybe it's a miracle, a Christmas miracle. Yeah, right. Or maybe you're crazy. The walls of your home office are the color of walnut shells. That was Beth's favorite joke. I see you're in a brown study, she would say. You can picture her in the doorway, hip cocked against the jam. How many times did you kiss her there? The moose on the wall was never amused by her joke. Neither was the otter or the winged blur. You're sure is a bald eagle. Beth gave you a digital camera for your 34th birthday. You need to repaint your office soon, this spring, when the weather warms up. You sit at the computer and type ice into Google. You read about black ice and snow ice and water ice and large grain ice and small grain ice and cobblestone ice. There is nothing about businessman ice. One of the web pages is put up by an ice boating fan named Steph. She graduated two years ago from the University of Montana and is working as a librarian in Kalispell. She collects erasers and stamps. You stare at pictures of her wedding and her honeymoon. There she is standing next to her ice boat. She's wearing a tight red jumpsuit and a black helmet with bright red flames. Her husband's name is Steve and he looks very happy. Steve and Steph, you want to send an email to warn her. About what? Your bed feels very big that night, almost as big as the lake. You are lost in it, and Beth's side is freezing. The next morning, you congratulate yourself for waking up. You have survived the first Christmas. You walk outside to get the globe. The paper is leaden with ads. Take those presents back, you cheerful fucks, and buy something new. But there is no news. Nothing ever happens on Christmas. For example, businessmen don't get frozen in ice. Back in the house, you hover in the kitchen. You've been hovering a lot lately. You forget what you're doing breakfast. That's it. You wake up, get the paper, have breakfast. You shake raisin bran into a bowl and scan the sports page. Then you notice you are pouring orange juice over the cereal. The phone rings. Hello. You hear the whisper of static but no reply. You say it again. Hello. The phone clicks and a woman says I would like to speak to Beth Anstruther. She's not interested. You hang up and put on your skates. Your man is still there, but he has moved. Yesterday, both arms were at his sides. Now he has raised his right hand as if he's waiting to be called on. He has something important to say, something that can't wait until ice out or else he's waving goodbye. You get down on your hands and knees. The ice is glossy here and strangely transparent, like a lens magnifying the bottom of the lake. You see boulders and rocks and mud, dark oak leaves, a pale Budweiser can, the glitter of gold. The ring must have slipped off the man's finger. His blue suit has thin chalk stripes. The Escher tie has come out of the vest, green birds turning into blue fish. His eyes are the same, fixed, frozen, dead. The fingers of his upraised hand are curled. What? The sound of your own voice scares you. You shouldn't be talking to dead people. What if they talk back? You spend the rest of the morning in your living room, staring at the lake. The lake is singing again today, but by noon only moans echo off the hill behind your house. The sky has turned to granite. Last night, weather.com was predicting four to six inches of snow. You convince yourself that you will stop worrying about your man in the ice once the storm buries him. The doorbell rings, and you bolt off the sofa, nerves twitching rachel the mail lady is at the front door she's holding a magazine wrapped around a thick stack of letters and a long thin box wrapped in brown paper package for you she says probably a late christmas present didn't fit in the mailbox you take it from her all of it but you can't find your voice In the silence, you notice that Rachel has had her nose pierced since you last saw her. There's a drop of gold just above her left nostril. She's 32 and divorced, and the boys at the dump love to gossip about her. Looks like we're in for some weather, she says, and then she really sees you. A shadow passes over her face. You okay, Mr. A? The flute... (coughs) You say don't let me breathe on you as soon as she is gone you run to the bathroom to look at yourself not good your eyes are like wounds and you haven't shaved in three days has it been three days already oh they'll be talking about you in town all right first at the post office then at Lil's Grill you throw time away you don't care who the man of the year is besides that's her magazine. Most of the letters are junk. There are bills from Sprint and Direct TV, and three straggling Christmas cards. One of them is from Beth's sister, Margaret. It is addressed to the Anstruther family. What family, you say? You open the card and read. In this holiday season, May your home and loved ones be blessed with peace and harmony. Underneath it, she has written, Hope you're okay, Margaret. A cramped little greeting from the human fucking cramp. You open the package last. It's a present from your mom. You're surprised she didn't call yesterday. She's probably waiting for you to call her. (laughs) Like that might ever happen. You haven't told her yet. You haven't told anyone. How can you? As soon as you get the wrapping paper off, you know it's a tie. The box is white and has a nubbly finish. You pry the top off. Your mother has sent you one of those Escher Ties, green geometric birds turning into blue fish. You feel as if someone is sticking a finger down your throat because you know now. You know. You fling yourself at the stairs. You yank down the trap door to the attic and scramble up. You pull the chair on the bare bulb light so hard that it breaks. You see the present almost immediately. It's the right shape. The weight Tells you everything. Red wrapping paper with snowmen and top hats. Rip, rip it. It's cold up here. You can see your breath. Your finger feels as thick as a sausage as you slip it between the top and bottom of the box. You tear open your Christmas present from Beth. It's blue, of course, with chalk stripes. Vest jacket, pants. Outside, the ice is singing to you. See, one of the ideas here, by reading three stories, is I get to hear applause three times. Maybe. We'll find out. This is Jim Kelly. Thanks for your patience, and thanks for listening to Free Reads. I'll be back soon with part two of my reading at the Richard Hugo House in Seattle.